Norman Shelby became a professional boxer at age 19. Six years later, in 1891, no, he became a professional boxer in 1891. Six years later, he won the world heavyweight, excuse me, the world middleweight title. He never defended the middleweight title, but instead advanced into the heavyweight division where he won many fights. In fact, he had 81 victories against only six defeats. Six losses, 81 victories. 55 of those 81 victories were by knockouts, even though he only weighed 160 pounds. Going up against men much, much bigger than he. Norman Shelby took the name, I guess you would say that the ring name, of Charles the Kid McCoy. Not only did he win a lot of fights, but he was uh, accused of throwing a few for more money than he would have gained by winning. Whereby boxing fans would wonder when the fight came, would they see the real McCoy? Which is where that, <laughs> where that uh, phrase came from. He was uh, an unscrupulous boxer. He would do anything it took to win when he wanted to win. Once in a bare knuckles match, he wrapped his hands in friction tape in order to cut his opponent. Another time, he rubbed ammonia on his gloves, which promptly got in the eyes of his opponent. On another occasion, he literally kidnapped his opponent's sparring partner in order to try to squeeze out of him some uh, scouting report about the other man's skills and and weaknesses. Once he was fighting a deaf boxer and he stopped abruptly and pointed to the corner and now the bell rung. The man dropped his gloves whereupon the kid McCoy knocked him out. But my favorite of all was when he was touring in Australia and the Pacific Islands taking on anybody that would challenge him for money. And he realized he was going up against a man that outweighed him by more than 100 pounds. He went ahead with the fight. He knew he could beat the man, but just for safe measure, he had his manager throw tacks out into the ring when the, they realized the other man was fighting barefooted. That's my favorite of all. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, the big man was distracted enough that uh, Kid McCoy knocked him out. Kid McCoy didn't fight fair. It's really difficult to defeat an opponent when they don't fight fair. They don't follow the rules. Now, that's the kind of opponent that you and I are up against in this world. An opponent that does not fight fair. His name is Satan. We call him the devil. He's called the dragon. Revelation. He is cunning. He is ruthless. 
and he has no conscience. It is extremely difficult to prevail against such an opponent, especially when he is our sworn enemy, according to 1 Peter 5, 8, where the Bible tells us that he stalks us like a hungry lion. What can we do to defend ourselves? That's the question that should be on our mind. Well, two things. Number one, we need to know that we have a spiritual enemy. We need to take verses like 1 Peter 5, 8 to heart. Yet, interestingly, the Barna Research Group a few years ago, in their research, determined that 32% of professing born-again believers did not believe that Satan was real, but that he was only a symbol of evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. He's a spirit being. One of the angels God created in the beginning, he rebelled against God. He was excluded from heaven. And he operates in his wrath upon this earth. We have to understand that is reality. We don't see him, but we certainly, with spiritual eyes, can see what he does. We have to understand we have a spiritual enemy. Then number two, we have to know our enemy. We have to know our enemy. What what does he do? How does he operate? What are his methods? In Ephesians 6, 11, uh, Paul mentions the wiles or the methodologies of the devil that we need to be aware of. Now, not only does God done that in Ephesians 6.11 and elsewhere in so many words, but he's also given us a heads up in regard to our enemy. The enemy that we face today as we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 and following. And what he does is he gives us a bird's eye view of Satan's greatest work. He literally takes us forward prophetically to the time of the Lord's coming and just preceding that when that personage, that human being that the scripture refers to as the Antichrist or the beast in the book of Revelation, he will be the ultimate work of Satan, the real beast that stands behind him and empowers him and probably indwells him. And so he gives us this bird's eye view of Satan's greatest work in the person of this future man so that we can understand Satan's objectives today in this world right now. Because that is what we are up against. Where did it go, brother? <laughs> I've lost the, the clicker. Did I lose it or did I not get it? I had it and left it. Thank you. The future career of the Antichrist will reveal Satan's objectives in today's world. Now here's a chart we often use. 
And in between the up and down errors and the final down error, that is what we refer to as the tribulation period. The red beyond that is the millennium, which means a thousand years. We've been studying about that on Wednesday night. But the Lord will come back in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and following. And those that have already died that are believers will be resurrected first. And then if there's whoever may be, hopefully it's us, that are still living and believing in the Lord, we caught up together to be with them in the air. And this is where, in that passage, the, the last trump is mentioned, which was our reminder this morning. Then there will begin a period of time referred to as the Great Tribulation. During the major portion of that seven-year period, God will pour out His wrath upon this earth. And He will allow... Satan to bring about all this prophesied concerning the Antichrist and so on. So that's the time period we're looking at. If you're interested, uh, well, go back and look at all the YouTube videos on Wednesday night. There's about 30 of them on the book of Revelation, so I can only refer you to that. So the Antichrist reveals Satan's objectives in today's world. That's what we want to look at. So let's let's get on with that. Number one, Satan's first objective is to replace God. To set himself up as God. To usurp God's right and authority and position. He wants to replace God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Now remember, the context, verse 3, says the day will not come. What? The day of the Lord. The day of Christ, as it's called in verse 2. It will not come unless there will be a falling away first. That's a, a great apostasy in the terms of the world's religions, especially in terms of Christianity that is professing but not really possessing. And then the secondly, the man of sin will be revealed. And that is what Paul was saying to the Thessalonian churches, is that, look, you have not somehow missed the rapture of the church. Because these things haven't occurred. And if the rapture had taken place and you would have missed it, you would have noticed the great apostasy taking place, and the revealing of the man of sin, or the Antichrist. Now, in verse 4, he begins to describe the man of sin, the Antichrist, and says of him this, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped. So the human Antichrist, probably possessed by Satan, will attempt to replace God on the human stage during the tribulation period. That's what he's talking about here. He's looking prophetically forward to something that the Scripture says will happen, and he says, look, this is an example for you to understand. He says then that he exalts himself above all that is called God. He actually will assert himself to be God, to take God's place, to dethrone God. Now, 
How does he do that? Well, the rest of the verse says, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, what is that supposed to mean? Well, first of all, it means that there will be a rebuilt Jewish temple during the days of the tribulation. And believe me, there are plans by Orthodox Jewish groups today to rebuild that temple. They're just waiting for the moment politically when they can do it. But the plans are already in place. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 16 refers to something called the abomination of desolation, which will take place in that temple. By the way, Revelation 11, 1 and 2, if you're taking notes, uh, connect Re- Revelation 11, 1 and 2 to the rebuilt Jewish temple. Then connect Matthew 24, 16 to the abomination which will take place in that temple at the midpoint of the tribulation period. And that's when the Antichrist will literally, uh, with, with the, the dragon, the, the, the Satan's backing and the help of the false prophet, his other cohort there, uh, they'll make up a, an unholy trinity. Satan himself setting himself up to be a false heavenly father, the, uh, the false prophet, a fake Holy Spirit, and the Antichrist, the fake Christ. And they operate together and they set up an image of the Antichrist in the Jewish temple and require the world to fall down and worship that representation of the Antichrist, worship him as God. Now you can read about this in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 verses 11 to 18. So Paul says there's coming a day when this man of sin who will be revealed will proclaim himself to be God and he will assume the position of God in the temple rebuilt by the Jewish people. And that in that way he exalts himself to be above all else in the universe. Of course, if you don't worship the Antichrist, you don't take his mark, you're not uh, able to buy and sell. Of course, you are, you're hunted. You will be hunted in that day if, I don't know if any of us would be there, but uh, it's certainly possible that unsaved people could enter into that tribulation and be there. They'll be hunted and martyred if they do believe in Jesus, anyone that believes after the tribulation, after the rapture. By the way, you look around in this world today and what do you see? Your good old greenbacks are going to be gone soon. The excuse is going to be, well, you know, the government can't track all transactions. And there's a lot of illegal transactions and drug transactions and all that goes with cash. The powers that be in this world today, looking for a one world government, are seeking to eliminate cash. It'll all be electronic and we have been conditioned and we've been made ready for it through our credit cards. What's happening even now during this pandemic? Everybody wants a credit card. The excuse is, well, there may be a virus on that, on that cash. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Some say that's possible. Some say it's not. I don't know. But I do know the powers that be in this world today that are seeking worldwide dominance want to eliminate cash. And the Fed in our country has got plans for an electronic coin or currency even at this time, as I understand it. At least they're thinking about it. 
So we are drawing near to the day when everything predicted in the book of Revelation is just right there, just waiting to happen. Now, just so you will understand, the Jewish temple, the one built by Solomon, on the front would look something like this. The inside, like this. No, that's, that, sorry, that's a backing up, seeing the, the outer court. So there's the outer court, and there's the inner sanctuary there, or the temple proper. Moving beyond that now, inside the temple structure, we have, this is the brazen altar, and Jewish worshipers could bring an, a sacrifice in here to be offered on that brazen altar, but then only the Jewish priests could enter into the holy place, and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies one time a year and bring the blood to be placed on the Ark of the Covenant. Now that's probably where the Antichrist image will be set up. Could be here, but probably back there. Now, when you read here in verse 4, where it says, In the temple of God, the word temple is a translation of a Greek word, naon, in this case, which refers to the inner sanctuary of the temple. There was another word that referred to the temple whole. We'll go back now. There was another word, hieron in the Greek, that refers to the whole of the temple. But then when you talk about the inside or the sanctuary here, which is this area, that was another Greek word that they used, naon, in this case. So, in this way, the future Antichrist will assert himself to be God. Now, in verse 5, it says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul had already taught the Thessalonian church, this depth of prophecy, although he'd been, been there a short while. But Paul, you know, he, he, a tremendous teacher and a totally dedicated and, and given over to this, accomplished great things. But sometimes, uh, they didn't quite get it all because his time was shorter than it may have been otherwise from the persecution and the pressure of the Jews and so forth. Verse six says, and now you know, what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The lawless one, Again, another reference to the Antichrist, whom the Lord will destroy when he comes. Now, he'll be confined, actually, for a thousand years in the, in the abyss or the bottomless pit, and eventually judged and cast into the lake of fire. But his, his end begins, it won't entirely elapse for a while, but his, the beginning of the end for him is when the Lord comes back. Now, let's back up then, uh, to verse Five. Uh, verse six, I should say. And now you know, he said, what is restraining, 
Now, this is in the neuter. And by the way, in the Greek, there was feminine, masculine, and neuter as far as uh, nouns were concerned. And the one restraining here, or the restraining here, is in the neuter, which means he's just talking about the restraint that is holding back sin in our present day. You see, if it were not for God's restraining of sin and lawlessness, we would be, as things would be today, as bad as it's going to be in that tribulation period. But don't be confused, and I just want to point this out because sometimes you read people who don't believe the Bible and as they like to point out contradictions in their mind, and that's the only place they are. He says, know what is restraining. Now, the what is restraining, it's, it's an English translation here, which really means the restraint. You know the restraint that is on. So that's referred to in the neuter. Now, he says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already work, and he who now restrains, that's masculine. It's a masculine participle there. So he, he who does the restraining is a man, or at least a person. His restraints we see, but the one doing the restraining we don't see. That's the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, considering what the restraint is in this world, only God can do that. There will come a time when the Holy Spirit, will He will not be removed from this world because God's omnipresent. He's always everywhere present. But there will come a time when the ministry of the Holy Spirit's restraint of lawlessness will end. And God will take his hands off of this world and say, okay, you want to be lawless? Have at it. And the only thing that happens then is things get worse and worse, and it gets so bad that God's judgment falls in that, especially in that second half of the tribulation period. Now, here's what we need to understand. The Holy Spirit is restraining lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Well, it simply indicates here that the Holy, or that the, that Satan's desire is to have authority over this world. He does not want God's authority, God's law, he wants to throw off, he wants to jettison so that he can be an authority. That he can replace God in that sense. Now that's exactly what we're seeing today in this world. We look around our country and we look at the lawlessness and we we see how our police officers are attacked for trying to keep the peace. That's just one example. There's many more. Lawlessness is the work of Satan. And we see it just, just boiling up in this world. We, it's, we've seen, I saw the same thing. You've seen the same thing in years past if you've been around any time at all. It's just growing worse. It's as if the Holy Spirit is still restraining, still holding back, but, but Satan has pushed the issue right up to the line for 
beyond which he cannot go in this dispensation. When the Lord comes back to the church, all that will change. Holy Spirit will step aside in his restraining ministry, and things will really get bad. Now, that desire of Satan to have authority, to remove God's law, for man to be lawless. Look at it. What's it say? Verse 7. For the mystery of... what? By the way, the word mystery, when you see it in the New Testament, it always means something that's not yet been revealed. Something is a mystery until it's revealed. Well, there is a mystery of lawlessness. In other words, someday, when the restraint is gone, it's going to be fully revealed. So, he says, for the mystery of lawlessness, now note this, look at it, is already at work. It's not as if Satan's not doing anything now. He's doing everything he can. But he just can't go beyond that line. But his, his work is going on in the present moment. It's all ready at work. It'll fully be revealed, though, when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit's restraining ministry ends and the Antichrist influence begins in earnest. So it's not really a lot of difference between that day and our day. We're up against the same enemy. God is restraining him in this day. In that day, he will not restrain him. And that will ultimately lead to the Antichrist proclaiming himself to be God and demanding that everybody in the world fall down and worship him and that he have absolute control over everything worldwide. This whole world government movement. World Monetary Fund, you ever heard about that? But you just, you just go read about it. What they want is one world government. It's, it's a real organization. It's, it's here today. The spirit of Antichrist is operative. All that's to be fulfilled has been. We just don't know the day when Jesus comes back and all of it begins then to fall in place. Now, second thing, the second objective of Satan's that we see in the day of the Antichrist through the future of prophecy, by, by understanding future prophecy, that we know is also characteristic of what Satan is doing in this day. The second thing is simply this. Satan desires the allegiance of men. Now, we've already basically touched on this, but Paul emphasizes it here, beginning in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to do what Satan wants him to do. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to operate just like Satan has always operated. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now look at this. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. Power, signs, and wonders. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 22, 
Those same words are used to refer to the miracles done by Jesus Christ. Powers, signs, and wonders. But Paul adds another word here. Power, signs, and lying wonders. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is one who holds himself out to be what he is not. Satan is the one that attempts to get what he wants from people by lying, by deception, by propaganda, by untruths. Now, we do know in the book of Revelation, chapter 13 was mentioned, other places in the book of Revelation, it talks about the miraculous things that are accomplished there by the Antichrist and the false prophet. Uh, miraculous things, we're not told all what they are, but probably the Antichrist himself uh, comes back to life after a mortal wound. This is stuff that you say, well, that's not normal. No, it's not normal, but God, remember, has taken his hands off. And Satan is allowed to do things he's not allowed to do in this day and age. He will impress me. Look, look, the people in this world are going to say, well, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like these wonders. I've never seen anything like this power. I've never seen anything like this. Surely this must be God. And he says, well, I am God. You better fall down and worship me as God. And it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Look at verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that the unsaved people will be deceived people. They believe, but they believe the wrong thing. They do not have a grasp on truth. Back in John chapter 18, you might want to turn there. Hold your place, we'll come back to 2 Thessalonians. But in John chapter 18, Jesus is answering Pilate when he is being examined by Pilate and put on trial before Pilate then uh, basically turns him over to the Jews to be executed, or, or I should say relents to the Jews' desire and has him crucified. Verse 36, Jesus answered and said this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, it's not at, at, at that moment. He had to die on the cross for the sins of men. He had to resurrect from the dead, ascend back to the Father. He had to return, or eventually he'll return, and then, he, then his kingdom will be of this world. But at this moment, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, if it were right now in this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said unto him, are you a king then? Now listen to Jesus' answer. He said, are you a king then? Jesus said, you say rightly that I am a king. Oh, whoa. See, my kingdom is not of this world at this moment, but my kingdom is coming. 
and it will be of this world. And in that sense, I mean, I am a king. And you rightly, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause have I come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Then Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Well, eventually he turned him over or relented to the Jews and turned him over to be crucified. So Jesus said, look, he said, I am a king. And I'm here today to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? You see, Pilate was looking at truth, but he couldn't see it. Pilate had listened to the truth, but he couldn't hear it. Pilate was interested in the truth, he said, but he couldn't fathom it. Pilate was in need of truth, but he couldn't find it though it was staring him right in the face. Why? Well, the answer is in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, Paul says of those that believe not the gospel, verse 3, contextually, those that are perishing, he says, their minds, the God of this world has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. You see, Pilate couldn't see truth. He couldn't fathom truth. He couldn't understand truth. He couldn't find truth because his mind was darkened. He was blinded by Satan. Satan is a deceiver, and he has darkened the minds of those that have turned from God, that would not receive God. All unbelievers do not have the capacity. Listen, you understand this. Unbelievers do not have the capacity to understand spiritual truth. Only if God removes that blindness, and He can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, but otherwise they are blind to it. And what they believe is true is actually a lie. And by garnering the allegiance of people to believe his lies is his way of obtaining their allegiance. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Chapter 3, you might want to turn there too. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now some people laugh and say, well, serpents can't speak. Well, neither can parrots, but they learn to mimic human voice. They don't really speak, but they can mimic. Satan is a God, uh, is a, a godless miracle worker. A minor bird can speak. Shoot, I even saw a video on the internet of a dog that could talk. (laughs) 
I don't know if that was real or not, but this is Satan speaking. He's utilizing a harmless creature, harmless in that day at least. If he would have come to Eve in all of his ugliness and all of his unrighteousness, she would have immediately rejected him. And here's what he said through the serpent. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He says, I can't believe God's so limited you as this. Eve, goodness gracious, all this wonderful food. And God says you can't eat of all this. See, he's stretching the truth. He's deceiving because God never said that. God said it's just one fruit, one fruit of one tree. That's all that you are forbidden to eat. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you should die. God didn't say that. Now, God did say don't eat it or you'll die, but he never said anything about don't touching it, not touching it. She is adding to the scripture. She's beginning to fall for the Satan's line. She's beginning to think God's overly restricted us. Then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. You will not surely die. And I think God's not telling you the whole truth. He's a liar. For God knows, says the serpent, in the day you eat and your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, he mixes in a little truth. That's true. They would have never known evil if they hadn't partaken of the, tr- of the fruit. But he mixes in a little truth with error. Before that, he said, first of all, you're not going to die. Number two, there's going to be a beneficial effect if you take and eat this fruit. Lie upon lie upon lie. He's been a liar from the beginning. He's a liar right now, and he'll be a liar in the day of the Antichrist. And the minds of unbelievers in this world are so blinded to the real truth that they say, well, there is no God. You see, that's one step toward hell for all eternity, following a lie that Satan perpetuates, that there'll come a day when even the, even, even the atheists will believe, but they'll believe in the Antichrist. They'll believe in the wrong person. Truth in today's world is the greatest weapon against evil, but truth, untruth in this world, is the greatest weapon of Satan against God and God's work and God's people. And we have got to understand, we live in a world of untruths. We live in a world today where the the general populace of unsaved people believe that truth is relative. Well, what does that mean? It means everybody makes up their own truth. It means whatever I decide is true is true. And that's true for me. It may not be true for you. That's okay. But it's true for me. That's true. No, truth is truth. Truth is objective. Truth is is found in Jesus Christ and His Word. Truth is found in God and what God says. This is why truth is so hard to find. Just just think of this political season we're in. If you totaled up the, the number of lies that have been told, by the commercials on TV, I, I don't know if we could count that high. But 
people are told untruths and told untruths and told untruths to sooner or later they, they begin to think, well, maybe that is right. Worse than that, people are told lies by people in authority and by people in the media. And after a while, they hear it so they think, well, maybe they should know. Maybe that is right. We have went past the time, my friends, when you can depend on authorities, so-called authorities in this world, to tell you truth. And you say, yeah, that's right. No, we cannot take that approach. We have got to do our own homework. We have got to do our own investigation, beginning with understanding the Word of God and understanding who trustworthy sources are who believe in the Word of God. And it's only that way that you ever begin to any ways come to the truth. I've heard one commercial over and over, and one of the things it says on its commercial is, well, the press says, and every time I hear it, I say, so what? <laughs> Since, I mean, I can't remember the last time that I could turn on a, a news program and actually believe I was hearing unbiased truth. Satan is doing his work. He is at work already. And it is plainly obvious if you have spiritual sight. So what is the end? Well, verse 11, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. Who? The people that live in Antichrist day. Still future prophecy here. Because they have rejected truth, because they have followed the lies of the Antichrist, even this outrageous idea that the Antichrist is God, which seems so far from reality that anybody could believe that, God will delude their minds so they'll just take, they'll take that in hook, line, and sinker too. He will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh, that just, that just strikes at your heart, doesn't it? That had pleasure in unrighteousness. Because that's what we see all around us. That's what we see just growing exponentially in this world. People that have not only a belief in what is un- untrue, not only do they have a desire to do what's unrighteous, they, their very pleasure is in unrighteousness. But the scripture says they're condemned. Verse 12. Thomas Brooks put it this way. He said, Satan promises the best and pays with the worst. He promises honor when he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure when he pays with pain. He promises profit when he pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. My friends, Those of us that have faith in Jesus Christ, don't listen. Don't listen to his lies. Don't expose yourself to his lies any more than you have to. See everything through God's perspective. If we don't apply a Christian worldview to this world today, we are going to be so frustrated and so defeated. But you see, when we understand it all from God's perspective, all that follow the lies of Satan 
are going to be condemned. We are going to enter into the kingdom. We are going to have everlasting life. I trust that that's your possession this morning.